0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior. Welcome back. This is another Tactical Tuesday. Conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your clean energy business or career and grow with us here on Suncast. If you've missed some of our longer form conversations recently, namely James Warden and George Hirschman, collectively more than four hours worth of listening pleasure. I don't blame you, and so you're here now in a Tactical Tuesday because you like shorter form content. Thank you for giving me that signal. I've done a little bit of extra work for you today. I've taken two excerpts on this Tactical Tuesday out of the episode two or part two, episode 476 of James Warden that was released back in May. And I want to present them to you here so that you can get a glimpse of what you missed if you did not, in fact, listen to that episode. Today, we're going to talk about James' perspective on the evolution of electric vehicles. If you're unfamiliar, James Warden is a serial entrepreneur who created two separate companies, both tied to the name Selectria. The first was one of the pioneers of electric vehicles, and he talks about the evolution of the electric vehicle industry in a time pre-Tesla, pre-Rivian. Pre all of these manufacturers agreeing that electric was actually the reality we were destined to embody for electric vehicles. Many of them were pushing back and all of them were only really dabbling in electric vehicles with the exception of Selectree and a handful of others because of the California Air Resource Board regulations. We explained that in episode one. I would encourage you to go listen to it in episode two. This segment, the first segment, just focuses on the evolution of electric vehicles from James' perspective as he has seen it unfold over history. And then the second segment talks all about listening to the customer. We'll get back to that in just a moment. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us here and level up your game. Remember, you can find resources, links, and access to today's guest and all the other guests by accessing show notes over at mysuncast.com. While you're at it, I hope that you'll subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and review. It really does help Others discover this content just like you have today. Now, let's get down to business. These are two practical excerpts from the long form James Warden interview that I hope you'll give a listen to, and I hope that it'll prompt you to go back and listen to the longer one. Tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. We're diving into a practical, tactical conversation here on Suncast. This is segment one about the evolution of the electric vehicle industry. How do you summarize for those who ask about? the history of Selectria as a company, as an electric vehicle pioneer, how do you summarize kind of the evolution of the industry? And I realize that might be complicated and difficult, but I presume you've got more practice than I have uh, listening to it.
1: I'd love to hear you talk about that. The electric vehicle, well, the take of the electric vehicle industry in Mm -hmm. the late 80s into the 90s, uh, that rendition of the electric vehicle industry, you know, now we feel electric vehicles are here to stay. There's no way, there's too bad, you know, the world offers a given, but. In 1990, we were trying to really create the industry, and it was it was very strange. You had you had a few people building conversions the old way with yeah. series wild well motors mm-hmm. and light at, wet lead acid batteries and you know stick shift gearboxes that were never going to be for the general public, but they're more tinkerers and do some fun things. Then you had a couple of companies that cost there ended up being about four of them in the end uh, around the country. I often think that we are the most advanced in, in in many ways with the technology. We brought mm-hmm. in building lightweight, efficient, easy-to-use automatic cars. That have withstood the test of time. That have, yes, yeah, that's, that's actually true. We, in Boston. But we've crushed a few cars that have rusted away yep. over time. with Too many winters, the salts, is <laughs> terrible. But, uh, which is why we built the composite cars. You know, the sunrise, yeah. you know, from the light speed, the flash, the sunrise. But, you know, this picture, I don't know if that... EV1, yeah, it, it, was, it, it, it shows as impact. You can't quite read that, but on the door, it says impact. Great name for a car. Yeah. But uh, the uh, General Motors, between General Motors, I put them as sort of the poster child of a car company, a traditional car company that the people in the EV1 program loved EVs. The salespeople, the, the, you know, the designers, developers that came, a lot of them came up with aero and then GM joined together because mm-hmm. aero yeah. built their solar car for them to compete in the 1987 wow. world solar challenge yeah. in Australia. When we went at the same time and GM sponsored us as well, hmm. but there were those people. And then there was a corporate and people were around in and around corporate that absolutely detested the whole idea of electric vehicles and right. everything it represented. And they were completely against each other. And when Bob Stempel was at general motors and we, we met him, he was an advisor to us, yeah. um, while he was there and but more when he left there and we went to energy conversion devices stan rosinski's nickel metal hydride battery business but he promoted this car at the very beginning when he left uh, uh chairman uh smith roger smith he rolled out the final production version of the ev1 which is not this car this is the air environment impact that was built for general motors He never really liked the electric car. He didn't didn't want it to succeed. And, you know, General Motors and Ford, Toyota, Honda, they were forced into it by California Air Resources Board, the whole CARB, 2%, then 10% EVs by 2000, I think, 1 and 2003. Mm -hmm. And it kept ratcheting up. And even more scary than that, as if that's not scary enough for the traditional automakers, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Jersey, we're all going to follow suit. Mm -hmm. They're like, as long as this happens in California, we're going to take that on too, Um, as some things tend to go. But what happened was that California mandate single-handedly amped up and put a lot of power into the EV incarnation of the 90s and single-handedly destroyed it. it. And that's the sad thing. If in some ways, I think if it had never happened, it might've grown more organically and carefully, but. It probably wouldn't have happened, yeah. but if they just kept that mandate, if they had forced it, because the, the secret truth is that, and this is, a, this is a true story, you'd have to dig deep into some annals of some people that would probably not even talk about it. But General Motors and Ford both had very close relationships with us, and we were deeply involved in what mm. was actually going to be their products to meet yeah. the mandates. The force was going to be made in that Ingersoll, Ontario, Canada. General Motors Suzuki Joint Venture with our whole kit was going to be made on their production line and that's what was going to power what they needed not the EV1 the EV1 cost they said a million dollars a copy it was a billion dollar program they delivered a thousand cars that's the story and then they crushed them all which is real which is
0: really sad I mean why would you it's a cool
1: car why why would you crush it and
0: that's the documentary Uh, in a a nutshell who killed the the electric car car. and that's a very sad story but and so it's true then that at some point the exit for your original investor was to Chevy and Ford and having, and basically creating the the prototype or the platform on which the original automakers could build electric
1: cars. Yeah. And it, and so we didn't use a Ford car, but how were we tied in with Ford? We had, this is hundred percent truth. We had a, I think it was a $2.5 million contract. Mm. Sounds little today, yeah. but for providing the drive system yeah. for the Ford Think city, car. It was a little 2 seat car. If anyone out there remembers the Ford thing, Mm -hmm. City something, one of those, two of those three words, was a little car, plastic-bodied car, and we were part of the dry system for that. Mm -hmm. And they literally, when the mandate got killed, they pulled the contract out from under us. It was a full contract. We were operating on it. We had to work to collect on it. It was Anita being the smarter one of the two of us. She was in control of HR, you know, people stuff, finance, and uh, accounting, she had to collect on that, and it was a it was a tough one to get that to get some of that money out from Ford. But the whole industry just ended, mm. and you know we had gone through. We made pickup trucks, we made step vans, we made school mm-hmm. bus drive systems. We yeah. we moved more and more into making drive systems. But then, as the EV mandate died, all the utilities and government fleets just turned off all the orders. No more right. orders came. Yep. And we sold a few cars here and there, like Robin Williams bought one, ah. uh, a, a two-seat Force, Force GT with an extra motor and an extra batteries and longer range. You know, we were building NICAT and nickel metal cars that we're getting, you know, 120 miles in a in a converted car. Yeah. Is it true um, that, that Force is from the Star Wars? There are a lot of influences. If you look at the S in Selectria there's none right here, but the essence lecture is a, is a star Wars shaped S. Is that right? And you know, Force Lightspeed. speed, so the font uh, is some pieces of the font are mm. borrowed from star. We don't extend the S the yeah. way the star Wars is. I, rec- but,
0: I recognize there's probably some, some trademark, if not some direct conversations with, uh, with their organization to ensure that you're not infringing. <laughs> yes.
1: We, we got a letter from Lucasfilm when, <laughs> when the force came out and, uh, with no money changing hands, we settled on, we can use the name Force, but they, we can never refer to Star Wars movie. We can never say phrases like, may the Force be with you. Right. And we joked about it, but mm. we joked about it telling people about the story sure. of the Lucas letter. Right. So it made it even more fun. Or Yeah. And uh, yeah, so th- a lot of those names, like to be the Flash, mm-hmm. s- the s- Sunrise, not so much, but these names are kind of influences of mm. of Star Wars. Fun fun. Very stuff. Fun.
0: That's, a f- yeah. that's a fun fact for sure. Uh, I'm going to uh, push forward in time a decade because with the sunset of the carb incentives, uh, thus entrepreneurial quandary: what are we really doing, and how are we going to build this company? History will show that you did successfully exit sell Solaria Corporation. What was that exit about? Like how how did you actually salvage the company into a sense of like you actually got a chance to have an
1: entrepreneurial exit? Yeah, it's an interesting story. And uh, again, a, a lot of other people involving successfully guiding this process. But we had migrated into a company that I always said to myself, and my wife and others, that anyone can be, can be this company. We were basically doing a lot of R&D mm-hmm. contracts, corporate customers, government contracts, military. We did a lot of military contracts, right. building contracts. Power supplies and DC DC converters. We made inverters that made three phase with an artificial neutral without yeah. ground. Like all these different things for hospital humvees mm. and hybrid humvees. And I went home some days, you know, literally smelling like diesel fuel. Wow! Like, you know, like you became experts in power conditioning and yeah, and I, conversion devices. It was just um, the dream was gone. The spark was gone. Mm. It was. A, I hate hybrids. I've always hated hybrids. <laughs> and Elon Musk says it best that it, it puts all the it puts the worst things of of both types of cars all in one car you're lugging around Mm. these batteries that you don't use all the time then you're lugging around this engine when you're doing your short-term driving and but it's a means to an end and and you know in the 90s there were people in our company we did experiments with hybrids early on we did an, an off clip on the back hybrid we did a little trailer we never brought an engine into the vehicle i would wouldn't have that but our cfo was dead set on basically the concept of the insight and the Prius that, that if we d- did that customer before they 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 did that product. But I was like, that's gonna be too complicated. It's too much stuff in the car. And to this day, you know, now that hybrids are are the big thing right now, of course, all of us future thinking people, we can see them sunsetting. I mean they're they're done. Yeah. They're like, Oh my god, hybrids are just oh, I can't wait till they're gone. Yeah. Um they're actually the I found some statistics. They're the they're the highest chance of, of a fire in a car. Wow. It's like Why would that be? Well, they have twice as much technology all wrapped together. They got liquid gasoline, they got fuel pumps, and they have batteries. Isn't it
0: arguable, though, that without the, like Toyota Prius as an example, without that, it's arguable that we wouldn't have the electric vehicle revolution that we have today?
1: That's a great question. In a way, hybrids helped and hurt electric vehicles. Because when the mandate (sighs) came, at the same time the mandate died, guess what year it was? Around 2000, when the inklings of the heavy losses and Mm. what came out, the Insight and then the Prius. So all our individual customers, save Robin Williams and a few other people, went and ran to this thing they can get that, well, it's not electric. I really want an electric car, but they're too expensive and I can't find one. And so they all could buy this mass market car. And yes. Everyone was driving a very small part electric car, but you couldn't plug it in. It delayed by 20 years. I think think Toyota and Honda did an unbelievable job coming out with a really neat, high mileage gas car called a hybrid that delayed the electric vehicle industry by 15 or 20 years. Now, at the time, why in 2000 couldn't we succeed in our own selling? Then the force became a Mm. $33,000 four seat subcompact car that could go 50 miles lead or a $70,000 car that goes 120 miles Nikamata Hydra. That's it. That's all she wrote. That's what you get. Yeah. And it was the best car for the money by far and a long way that you, you could buy the money. That's pretty poor performance results. Yeah. You know, and the acceleration was pretty good in the city. It was great, but not that great on the highway. Yeah. You could get up to 70, but it took a while to get there. You know, you could go a few exits on the highway, no problem, but that that was it. So, the batteries were still the issue, the lead right. acid batteries. We put we put the smallest battery of anyone making EVs, just 800 pounds, just 800 pounds of batteries in that Metro. We kept it with the passengers well within the GVW because you, you can't go over GVW. A lot of other people are going over GVW. What's the the GVW?
0: Gross, gross vehicle value. weight. Yeah, gross vehicle so weight.
1: the gross vehicle weight designed and developed into any car is tested and safety, the life yeah. of the bearings, the, the the strength of all the metal someone else yeah. spent the roll cause someone else spent millions of dollars getting that number established right. we can't not use that number right so the drove vehicle weight is stamped in the car forever, and we can't <sighs> change that so you know we reduced our carrying capacity you know we had I think for a time like five hundred and fifty pounds so it better be two men and two fairly light either kids or women in the back, but not not four guys and sure we went on test drives with four guys at a utility yeah. when we were delivering a car teaching them about <laughs> it but but, you know, you can over-DVW a car f- with an extra load for some short amount of sure. time, but it better not be here day in and day out. Most of the time, the cars are used in fleets with one or two people anyway. Yeah. So it's not an issue. But anyway, the lead-acid battery and then the nickel-metal battery was not bad. At, it was about $20,000, kind of a lot of money, and it got the car 120 miles, which at the time was pretty exciting. Better than the Leaf. But, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but at the Leaf that came out, what, 2011? Yeah. The real pioneer to get a car once lithium batteries came, yeah, and that was what we were missing—the lithium batteries. And I was afraid of lithium; it was just starting to come when we were, you know, when there were fires in airplanes yeah. for people's cell phones or mm-hmm. computers. Then Boeing had a new plane that had a lithium battery that caught on fire, and then they put put back the NICADs real Quickly. quick. Um, but anyway, the batteries just weren't there, and Elon and Nissan. 2010, 11, that's when it really started to get exciting. And, uh, you know, I started playing with lithium myself at home (laughs) by 2012, 13. Now I have four cars with lithium.
0: While the electric vehicle industry was a foundational and formational part of who James Warden and his eventual entrepreneurial empire became, it by no means was the end of the story. When we return, you'll hear how James thinks about listening to the customer as part of the process of developing products at any product company. We'll be back in a moment.
1: The solar industry is at a critical moment. Trade disputes, supply chain constraints, and interconnection delays threaten the momentum of the clean energy transition's golden technology. Hey, Suncast listeners, I'm John Engel, host of a new podcast for the solar industry called Factor This. Each episode, we're taking you in-depth on the issues that matter to you most, and we've launched with a four-part series on the Oxen Solar Tariff Petition, which includes an exclusive interview with their CEO. Nico was one of our first listeners, and I hope you'll join him. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts,
0: and we'll see you at Factor This. Have you been curious about utility-scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. The first product that I installed uh, was the NEMA Forex. You guys like really had the only, I'll say, bulletproof stainless steel cabinet. And Allison must have sold thousands of them. Uh, Allison Duffy. uh, She's the the queen of solar sales, in our opinion. Um, (laughs) She works with Andrew now. Yeah, she does. What about innovations like that? Were there core decisions like that, that ultimately you made a bet and they, and they worked out for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, the stainless steel cabinets. another example of where customer voice just told us what to do. It's like if a customer is asking for something, there's something simple. It's yeah. like, how many can we sell if we do this thing they're asking for? Yeah. How weird is it? Because you have to say no sometimes. That's right. But what's it going to cost us? And most people think, oh my God, stainless steel enclosure—that's mm-hmm. going to be so expensive. We're never going to sell very many. But is it really just getting a different enclosure material? What's the big deal? That's right. Yeah. I, so I go to the enclosure manufacturer. What is it going to cost in stainless steel? Oh, it's going to okay. It's going to be three three times the money for the cabinet. Okay. Big deal. So, you know, we changed the bug screens from uh, non, you know, from just plain aluminum to fiberglass. So they wouldn't also be attacked by salt. And we went through mm-hmm. other things in design to harden them up. We anodized hard, anodized the exterior aluminum parts uh, that would, would get corroded. And we put uh, no locks paste on our terminals inside the inverter. Cause you know, we're blowing air through the inverter so we didn't want those terminals to corrode. And a lot of these features ended up going on the standard products. We actually, because those people asked for a more ruggedized salt salt mm-hmm. air environment near the beach, like at a Hilton Hotel on the roof where it got helicoptered in in in, in Hawaii, yeah. with another Al- Allison, not genius, you know, those benefits can, can fall back. And to make the regular where it was cost-effective, we just dumped all those things into the regular design. So we were forced to learn something we didn't really want to learn. No, there were other people came in and said, oh, we want to use the inverter for wind. Can you yeah. make a software special wind? And we looked at it and we said, who's this company? How many are they going to sell? Are there other markets we can sell it to? No, not really. And not very much. So we said no to like five different wind projects. I think one thing we sold to where they said, we'll, we'll make a separate box that'll control your inverter. So you don't have to change the software. And I think we said yes to that. And it didn't turn out to be anything, you know? Yeah. It's like we just sold a standard product and we gave them some way to like connect to the data port to get some information in and out. But I can't number them. The number of, there's so many, features and options that came from customers it goes all the way back to the cars like utilities for some god-awful reason they wanted cruise control it's like <laughs> why do you need cruise control the gargoyles 50 miles yeah. like just use the accelerators like nope that's not how we're gonna we're gonna listen to them and we put cruise control in. it was two buttons yeah set cruise and disable cruise and it cost us like 15 cents okay it cost us 20 dollars, but we sold that option for like Four hundred dollars, and every customer bought it in the utility and the fleets because they buy a Ford Taurus with cruise control, they're going to buy our cars cruise cruise. control. Doesn't matter that it doesn't need to be there. Are we taking advantage of people? No, they ask for it. as an option. You don't have. It's expensive. You don't have to pay four hundred dollars for it. Another another example would be, um, I mean, early on we knew we needed air conditioning and battery thermal management things that we need to baby the battery. But you know, with inverters, you know having a good display that the, the user can push buttons, can go through different things, can use it for diagnostics. Our inverter started with blinking LEDs. You remember the days of the SMAs that you'd knock on it, the LEDs would blink at mm-hmm. you and you'd have to count them and then look in the manual. And that's how the earlier inverters were. So we added an LCD display, alpha display that could tell customers all sorts of things. You could go through screens and that at the same time became our web-based monitor. So you could set your your uh you know your access codes and whatever to get onto your network so uh you know many features like that got added and people mm. wanted fused disconnects or they mm-hmm. wanted unfused disconnects and i was like ah oh. so we <laughs> actually had a very complex set of SKUs and options and it made it made some of the management and some of the operational stuff quite difficult and that's where ibk and her purchasing team and the operations and the build people i mean they had they had a lot to handle we had configuration sheets that would would drive people insane there were so many different check boxes and unchecked boxes they oh they don't want this on there they do want an error and we it became like a la carte like an a la carte menu like yeah. c- going to chinese and getting dim song was that else?
0: was that a a feature uh or a bug about the selectria company as a development
1: well that yeah that's a great question just does too much complexity then hold us back. Mm. And uh, we love the, we called them vanilla. You know, like we, the only inverters we built not to spec were vanilla inverters. We would just build some, like when the line had extra time, we built some vanilla inverters. And if you wanted, if someone called in and they said, "Yep, we can build that vertical lead time three weeks." But by the way, we have a vanilla inverter, this and this. Oh, and we even have a stainless steel available that some customer d- mm-hmm. didn't take one of them. And and sometimes people buy those and they loved it because they could get them immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, big commercial vertical could be uh-huh. hundred kilowatt. It's in stock. Um, so people love that. But with with the the residential inverters, there was no customization. We knew that there yeah. was no way those could be customized. We built residential panels at the time that had. Visible blade, lockable AC right. and DC disconnect. We had meter sockets. So we, that was custom. You could order it 17 different ways. You could get one, two, or three inverters up on one panel. The unions love this. I don't know yeah. why, because it's a lot less labor for them. And usually they like labor in the union. Yeah. But they they are the ones that got, the unions got us to do these residential panels first. And then we sold thousands of residential panel mm-hmm. assemblies, we called them. But with the commercial version they're the exact opposite. they were completely customizable. We knew we were building this giant box. And you know a, a fused or unfused disconnect difference is like a couple hundred hundred fifty dollars different right. might be four hundred or six hundred so for a four hundred amp disconnect you know big disconnects like that so why not let the customer have that that money why do we want to take more money be less competitive out there and be wasting yeah. material when they're going to have a a few fu- a circuit breaker right there they don't need another fuse in the inverse mm-hmm. just wasting a little energy it's wasting parts more reliability we're going to get a call on something so if they want it that way, you know, we've had things where you could turn disconnects and, you know, the salespeople single handed loved and hated all these options because yeah. they needed to educate customers and all that. We had sure. training sessions that were like 40 slides long. And I remember giving them sometimes with not enough sleep, sometimes with too much partying at a, at a, uh-huh. a late night at a trade show. Yeah. Exactly. They had big parties there. And at at seven in the morning, we have, you know, 50 electricians and Scott and I, we, he also had dark sunglasses. He was, he was very professional at this. And he dragged me along and we'd be up in front of these guys with donuts and coffee and yeah. we'd teach them with all our funny little antics about all these options and how you order them. And they'd get quite confused, but they, they realized, oh, I can get it this way. I can mm. get it that way. And so it was, uh. That is interesting, though, that you brought in that was that a curse or a blessing. And mm. I think most customers saw it as we're really bending for the customer. Yeah. We've set up our whole system. We've made a a, a well-oiled machine, some people called it at the time, to handle a completely custom yeah. build inverter that doesn't seem like custom. It's more like when you order a car, like when you order your Tesla online. Okay, we didn't get that mm. far. Yeah. But it just drops in and all the stuff you're, okay, they yeah. don't have many options. But cars that have a lot of options, it just, the right options drop in. It doesn't, it's a little like more a con- overhead. Like a configurator, but basically. Like a configurator. Yeah. And it became very mechanized. We had these mm. great sheets, the traveler would follow all the way through the plant. And the inspectors all the way down the line, right up to the end, you'd inspect to make sure every option that's on mm. there got on there. Sometimes it were custom. There was a line for custom options where someone wanted, they wanted the label to be 499 kilowatts, right. not 500.
0: You can see how, you know, listening to the way you talk about it and what we all know about the, the ultimate, um, you know, again, the ultimate result, uh, successful asset sale. What I want folks to take away is as an entrepreneur, listening to the customer, focusing on quickly deploying an idea and loving the customer with customer service, which is something that in our industry, unfortunately, is not a common feature. Your market will find you. The thing that, that resonates for me, and you can't script these, you can't time this. Uh, you in a, a, the, the, the mid-80s could not have guessed that CARB was going to come out with an incentive program that would forecast California and that would ultimately lift Selectria into, we'll call it profitability, but certainly viability. I remember in 2006, six seven seeing Selectria and thinking, there's no way I would buy this. SMA has a, a, a similar product Better road, uh, roadmap, better, candidly, like a better sales force in California where I was selling yeah. solar. Grass Valley. Yeah. And you guys had a great, you had a huge uh, customer base here in the Northeast, but in California, nobody cared uh, until. Allison Duffy. Well, until Duffy for sure. She's a force all of her own, right? Yeah. And there is a bit of like, if we had time, we could talk about like the, the, the importance of recruitment to your car, to the team, et cetera. And I remember like spending, you know, it's it's just seeing Duffy. She's a force of nature uh, as a salesperson. But 2008, global financial crisis, Obama institutes the now famous American Reinvestment Recovery Act, which mandated for government buildings, American
1: made. Uh, Oh, I remember that now. How important was that to the life of Selectria? I know it came up from time to time. But it I don't think it had a giant impact i mean we did mm-hmm. we got on some military installations we got on some government buildings, a lot of schools. I wonder used if that'd us. be Allison's answer because I felt like Selectria
0: was the was the soup de jour for government affi- like facilities from then on. I feel like that was yeah, like I you locked, you guys locked that market
1: yeah i mean i maybe others will know more Allison duffy uh scott bowden brad sure. sherman they they did a lot of the the, all the early selling so, in that time, yeah. the big selling, the big growth years. Yeah. I mean, multiple, three years in a row, 300% growth wow. every year. I mean, just crazy through that 2008 to 10 area. That was the, the really crazy, like, yeah. out-of-body experience. Like, how do we even keep up with this marathon, yeah. like, with do you manufacturing?
0: Feel like, with, do you feel like anybody doing, like, who was a peer of yours was having the same
1: experience? I would, I would guess that uh, some did, but... I don't know if they had that much growth that many years in a row, because we were, the industry grew at standard then 30 to 40% a year, but we were growing 300%. -hmm. So we were taking market share and getting growth at the same time. We were taking someone else's market share every one of those years, Mm. all the way through. We kind of went, went down to like that 20, 30% growth. We were just kind of keeping up with industry growth. And that's when things were getting really tough. And that's actually when, when, uh, um, Yaskawa came into the picture when yeah. it made a lot of sense for their lower cost manufacturing in the Midwest, still making things in the U.S., and their, like, unbelievable level of quality. I mean, yeah. their Yaskawa's level of quality.
0: And so, like, was known in the industry as the high, among the highest level of quality and attention to detail, as you pointed out. Yeah. Before we go to Yaskawa, one other question. Those who are currently operating in the United States market will, rep- will recognize a name like Chen Power. But back in 2006 to 2010 timeframe, while Chent in China was recognized as a mega top 10 company, they they had almost no presence here. Um, Our friends Ed and Kyle Cherick and these guys um, were early in to help sort of raise that company purview in the United States. But my sense is that a lot of their credibility came from a partnership with a little known company in Massachusetts or a, a little known company on the Western region of the United States, at least. How did the relationship with Chint come about? And you had mentioned that, we'll point out that you said the the residential line was not customized. It was it was like churn, it was just a you know it was a, a standard product. Talk to me about the decision to partner on manufacturing with a company like Chint rather than continue manufacturing in-house.
1: Yeah, so the the Chint relationship came along because these wall hung inverters were moving very fast mm-hmm. we had the big american-made heavy mm-hmm. transformer base yeah. we had peaked the efficiency real nice we got up to uh great values 96 96 and a half even 97 percent right. with amorphous core transformers we had run out the to the technology limit of how good you could do with that but it still involved this big ass transformer that didn't need to be there yeah. and b- with that big transformer, it commanded a big cabinet that mm. adds money. And then all the other electronics weren't a whole lot different. But it forced the design to be a certain size and weight. And we saw the writing on the wall that we need to have we need to have that type of inverter. Transformerless. And we transform this wall hung and we weren't sure if it was going to be a fad or how much was going to take over. That was a mistake. But the genius I'd say we did have was to and we looked at several companies, but we Partner with chain because i didn 't have much of a, uh, presence. a presence over here it it we tested the product it looked pretty good it, the quality looked looked pretty reasonable. We had some troubles with it i 'll tell you we had mm. a bunch we had to replace and with our reputation we just we just paid for it we we yeah. replaced them and replaced them replaced them and um and you know quality you know in general they had a they had a pretty strong Quality standard. We went over there and, and visited the plant countless yeah. times we had that close relationship. But in the end, we, in the meantime, we were developing our own inverter that was going to be much more reliable and, you know, every bit as efficient, have more features, a few more options. But it ended up taking a bit too long. Yeah. And uh, the best thing out of it came our 1500 volt. That's a great product. I say R, but it's, I started that and got about halfway down the road when, when my wife and I uh left left uh the company. Yeah. Uh when they moved the manufacturing to the Midwest, that was kind of like yeah uh, a sad time mm-hmm. for uh for us 'cause that's half of what we built was was going away and those people got laid off. They a lot of them got offered jobs if they want to move to the Midwest sure. and, and have uh, White Castle burgers instead of uh whatever we have over here. Yeah. But uh the fifteen hundred volt was uh was uh very successful product and i believe it still is to be a 600 volt ac 1500 volt dc very cost effective in a in a, a much smaller box and it i think they're doing, doing a quarter megawatt in a in a wow. in a box that weighs about 400 pounds um you know it doesn't hang on a wall but it's utility scale yeah um, but it's it's much you know different than central versus a whole lot less mass and money yeah in terms of dollars per watt it's a much better better benefit.
0: Did Yaskawa yeah. value uh the the residential line of inverters as as a as a core piece of the asset they were buying?
1: No, they they I don't I believe that they Yaskawa America didn't have they didn't really like at all a lot of these as you call it private labeled yeah. things. And you know there's a there's a certain rhyme to that reason. I sure. mean um and the residential was completely that we had a very close relationship with with Delta, it was previously mm-hmm. Exendus. Yeah. We made the inverter kind of our own. He had one of Michael's workers. early things was to work on the software actually yeah. in Germany. So it's Germany. He worked there for this first couple of months and then came to the company and worked on some wacky projects, some, uh, some solar driven like blimp thing at our company <laughs> for some, again, one of these are re- research projects. And then he started working on the commercial inverter and then he was working exclusively on a 2003 area, but that inverter uh, line, uh, we were the pretty much the only outlet for 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 this, you know, the whole America's area. And uh, we it was very much integrated with these residential panels, so yeah. it could fit different codes in different states. You could get it a la carte again, mm-hmm. kind of very customized in the panel, or you could just buy the inverter just yeah. in a box and do it all yourself if you really like to tinker with yeah. all the other stuff. You know, we sold tens of thousands of those but we never got to the, the we never got the sales level of you know someone like uh solar and face at the time and then they yaskawa didn't want to continue the residential line yeah. after about i don't know 2015 or 16 and they uh wanted to end it you know i'd always wanted to be in residential commercial and utility scale grid tight inverse i'd be that focused but not even more focused within only some listeners and I can see different ways that they Scott want to focus in on stuff that we actually make yeah you know because that's where the real value value add is and I I can understand that uh, but it's not not what I originally did or or would do
0: all right solar warrior I really expect that that was a fantastic insight for you the interlude that we've provided this 30 minutes snippet out of a long, long conversation that we had with James Warden. If you are so inclined, I hope that you'll queue up episodes 475 and 476. These two excerpts being part of episode 476. In fact, right after the snippet you just completed, James goes into the discussion around why, in fact, Yaskawa ended up buying Solectria inverters and incorporating them into their century-old Japanese brand of industrial manufacturing If you like these kinds of conversations, and it seems like you do, but you haven't yet subscribed to Suncast, I would encourage you to just click on the subscribe or follow if you're over on Spotify and click on the bell so that you're notified every time one of these episodes comes through. You don't want to miss out on our practical tactical conversations and insights geared towards helping you in your career and business building journey. I'd love to hear from you. What was it that, inspired you to listen to suncast at all what did you glean from this conversation that you've listened in on today would you share with me and my team and james over on linkedin or twitter you can find our socials as of course you can find all of the other useful links and resources as we always link them on the show notes at mysuncast.com would love it if you would like and comment and even share one of our posts about the episode or You can go back, hopefully, now that you've subscribed and listen to the longer form episodes with James. This interview with James was one of the rare opportunities to actually hear more about James the person rather than James the entrepreneur and CEO of Selectria. And it really was a deep dive into he and his wife Anita and the phenomenal story that they created together. Thanks again for dedicating your time for listening to this Tactical Tuesday. I'd also like to take a moment to thank the sponsors who help make suncast free to you each and every week. It's definitely not free to produce this deep involved content, especially when I have to fly to remote locations like Northern Massachusetts to capture these meetings in person, like I did with James. You can learn more about our supporting sponsors at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. And that's also where you can learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors, and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, You are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.